Super excited to be having Mike Michalowicz, author of the very popular book, Profit First. Now, Mike came over to a mastermind that I'm a part of and gave a keynote. And I've heard about the whole Profit First system, which if you guys you know Google it, there's a chart online where it spells it out pretty simply. We don't really need to read the whole book, but I think it's good to hear about it in different ways, listen to this week's show. So what does it inspire? What's the action plan that I did? You're supposed to put yourself first and kind of just figure things out. Now, it's not as super uh, childish as an envelope system, but virtual envelope system, right? So you have your checking account, maybe as your owner's pay, or I have been using my infinite banking account as another sort of virtual envelope and also my spouse's account as another envelope to take things off the table, take profit first. Uh, at least that's how I've been using it. If you haven't heard of the infinite banking, check out the info page at simplepassacashflow.com slash banking. And also while you're at it, learn how we use the short-term liquidity sources as our opportunity fund. You can learn more about that concept at simplepassacashflow.com slash OFUN. But enjoy the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Pass the Cash Flow listeners. Today we have a real life author who've actually sold more books than 100. Like some of those other podcasts. <laughs> That's the best intro ever, Lane. <laughs> That's it. We're done. There's uh, yeah, true social proof right there. But it, Mike and I met a few months ago in San Diego. He came and gave the keynote speech at our mastermind. He wrote the Profit First book, Clockwork Surge, The Pumpkin Plan. That was a popular one. And he's also looking to release his next book, Fix His Next. He, by the age of 35, founded and sold two companies, one to private equity and another to a Fortune 500. Today is working on his third multi-million dollar venture, Profit First Professionals. And he's a former small business columnist at the Wall Street Journal, former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. And he is here to help um, give some insight more for the passive investor today. But thanks for coming on, Mike. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy we were able to pull this off. Thanks for coordinating this, Lane. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you go over your story and kind of you, you are working corporate, and I think a lot of the investors and listeners here are in that cubicle. Maybe they're middle management, maybe they're upper middle management. Yeah. Maybe tell us a little bit where the inspiration for like the suite of pretty awesome books came from. Thank you. Yeah, I did corporate for one year of my adult life and it was difficult. So the quick story is I've been an entrepreneur for the entirety of my life. When I graduated college, I tried to get the corporate job and couldn't. Started a business in the tech space through raw effort, a lot of ignorance, but I was able to sell it to private equity. I then was in computer crime investigation, had that company. It was a fast run, sold it to a Fortune 500. I was acquired by Robert Half International, if you're familiar with them. And that's the corporation I worked for one year after being acquired. It was, for me, murderous, figuratively speaking. I just had never experienced bureaucracy like that or gamesmanship or whatever. It wasn't about getting results. It was much more about the politics. And I couldn't handle it, nor could they handle me. Like It was oil and water. So I left that. I was escorted out, in fact, gratefully, and I started my next business where I was an angel investor and I was just horrible at it. I started a business that I had no right to be in. I thought, because I knew entrepreneurship so well, I had two exits. I had proof. I, I knew the process and I sucked at it. I collapsed. I lost all my wealth. It, it was 
financial travesty and ultimately triggered depression and struggle and but a restart. So I'm actually most grateful for that period of my life because I felt called to figure out how to make entrepreneurship simpler for me and, and for fellow entrepreneurs, how to really master the journey. And I decided, it was 12 years ago, decided to become an author and started writing books to solve my own challenges. I started new businesses that I own today, that made them the guinea pigs and platform. Profit First Professionals is one. I own four companies now and have those businesses operate and use these principles while I teach these systems. And that's who I am today. I, I'm, I'm an author. I, I love entrepreneurship. I, I love micro business and small business. I, I am convinced it is the backbone of our planet and these businesses, our businesses need to be successful. So I hope my books uh, are support in that journey. Yeah. Let's talk about Profit First because that was my first introduction to your content. Yeah. And I'm going to share this uh, little image. I took your ideas and I hopefully I didn't bastardize it too much. This no, it is, looks good. This is an engineer's interpretation of your ideas. So for those of you guys who don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, yeah. see if this uh, game of telephone worked, that profit first is this idea that of obviously paying yourself first. And I think yeah. a lot of yeah. us are like, all right, done. I can go home and back to my nap. But <laughs> it's a little bit of based on how much you make. And for a lot of us that working the day job, that may just mean how much income you bring in. Yeah. So based on which category you're in, you can split off how much profit you want to take off the top, which you should spend because after yep. all, that's what makes us happy. And then how much we need to pay ourselves as owners and then how much we need to save for tax and operating expenses. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's called the TAPS chart or target allocation percentages. What, what we did is my business, we studied about 1,000 other companies, but they were the fiscally elite and the leaders in their industry. And it was everything from like a pizza shop. What's the best pizza shop financially in the world achieve in numbers to real estate, to professional services and everything in between. And we found that these are what on average, the fiscally strongest companies are industry agnostic. One thing is interesting about that chart. You'll notice that column B, C, and D, if you look at the profit, increasing profit from five to 10% to 15. And then in column D, it drops back down to 10, 15%. What's interesting is that there's a sweet spot we found for businesses. Once a business surpasses a million dollars in revenue, there's a fundamental shift where the business owner is extracting themselves from the business actively and is investing more in the growth of business through automation, efficiencies, and so forth. So we see a dip percentage-wise in profit and also the owner's compensation continues to drop. But then these businesses, once they surpass the $5 million mark, we see the profitability start increasing dramatically. And the owner, you can see the owner's pay continues to drop because they're extracting themselves from the business in the process. And the reward they get is ultimately in the distributions of the business, but they're not working in the business anymore. Yeah, but 5% of 5 million is way more than 50% of- Exactly. Yeah. It's way more. I'm an entrepreneur and what I did here was my goal for my little- coaching and education group. Right now I'm in that stage BC that she said, I've got, normally when any business, you bootstrap it from the beginning, right? You do yep. everything yourself. I'm still editing podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, Recording my own video, editing the video, uploading the video, tagging in, all this silly yeah. stuff. But as you said, you take, after you hit a certain level of scale, you need to slow down to speed up in a way. When we start a business, when you're in the A stage, if you will, the only way to run the business if you're the sole partner is you doing all the work. And if you start with another partner, you're splitting the work amongst each other, but it is not just contingent upon the owner, it is fully dependent on the owner's effort. But very quickly as we get to stage B, C, and then really in column D, that's where 
our behaviors and owner needs to change. So in the beginning, you must support the business. There is no other resource. Quickly on, especially by column D, we need to change our behavior and not do the work anymore, but really become delegators of the work to specifying and having clarity on the outcomes we want for our business, but have other people, other resources do the work. And that's a tough transition for many people. Many people, since you start a business and launch it off your sweat, the common belief is I got to keep sweating. I got to do more work myself. And we get in this trap of thinking that the growth of the business is fully contingent upon our effort and working harder will get more results. But of course, there's a cap on that and we hit it. And then we get stuck. What do I do? Because I do everything. I'm the hero for this business. No one can do what I can do. And that's the problem. We need to start transitioning our mindset from doing the work to designing the outcomes to saying, I have to create a business structure that is healthy and strong and delivers the outcomes that I expect, but without any of my effort. It's where we stop asking, how am I going to do this work? It's asking who's going to do this work. So that's that transition. Are you a non-incredited investor looking for opportunities to invest passively? How about a newer investor looking to get a bit of a track record and confidence from your spouse who's a little bit skeptic of what you've been listening to the last few months? And could you use the reinforcement of double-digit returns paid like clockwork in the form of monthly dividends? The American Home Preservation Fund, or AHP, is currently open again and is looking to bring new investors with them. I have been investing with them since 2016 and originally I used it as a means to pay for my regular expenses. I started with $60,000 as my initial investment and that paid my car payment completely for me every single month. HB collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes via restructuring or selling the debts unlike their competitors. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when owner George Newberry saw the impact Simple Passive Cashflow was making and eventually approached me to become a spokesperson of the company. You can start investing with as little as 100 bucks, and if you want a free bird zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. For more information about investing with AHP, go to hpservicing.com slash investors. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. Another big takeaway I had, and if you didn't come speak on stage, I would have never got this. I highlighted there in red the operating expenses for the category that I thought that I was in. Yeah. And I realized I put in there 28%. I don't know why I did that, but I was like, I'm almost spending nothing. I'm doing everything. I'm not spending anything on operating expenses. And to me, that kind of was like a big wake up. Hey, dude, you got to spend money on this. I got to hire people to help me. It's a rare circumstance. Most businesses that I walk through this are spending more than they should. It's rare, but it does happen that people are spending less than they should. And they're like, my business is nailing it. I'm not spending any money. But then they realize, perhaps you did in your case, is I'm not investing forward. So if you're in column A or B, for example, businesses at that stage sometimes can run solely off the owner and we can have a tremendous amount of personal income coming in with very low operating expenses because we're doing the work. And so there is no operating expense, but that becomes a trap in itself in that you have to do the work. So now the only resource us is the exhaustible resource. And the day we decide to take off or want a little break, the business starts slowing down. So this pathway from A to F was designed in the analysis of businesses that grow with the intention of investing in having other people, other resources, technology, doing the work. Some business, if you're like an Uber driver or you're in the gig economy and stuff, let's see if we can cut the expenses even more. If you just want to be the one person ever only doing the work, profit first, the percentages as I show them here, 
may not be optimized for you. And you can ramp up the profit, ramp up your compensation, but realize the trade-off is you won't be putting any money flowing into the business to scale beyond yourself. Yeah. This business I'm working on is like a mastermind and private group coaching business. Yeah. And initially when I was in step A here, I was just doing conference calls every week, zero cost other than the Zoom week subscription. But then like after you came and talked, I started to implement trying to spend some money, different reports, different other subscriptions that add value. And I'm really having trouble spending money on the group. So I keep asking them, what do you guys need? I'm willing to spend some money here. Even hired another membership coordinator. That was the way I took your word and put it into play. Yeah. No, well done. I'm just looking through your chart right now. It's a pretty good interpretation. I give you an A+. plus. Thanks. Yeah, my parents never gave me any good uh, compliments, so I really appreciate that. Oh, this, is, this is super good. And, yeah. the, and the interesting thing about Profit First is, and, and you do the exact right thing, Lane, is it is a framework, but it is not a manual, a definitive manual. Each business can customize the process to cater to their unique works or unique needs around the framework. That's what I see that you did here. Nicely, nicely done. Let's switch over from most of the people listening. They're not entrepreneurs and one of the topics that came up in my recent Hawaii mastermind is, look, maybe the, our highest and best use is just going back to our day job. So speaking for those, those uh, W2 guys, they're just stuck there and probably not the worst place to be. I started to think of well, how can I apply this to a lot of my avatar that is my passive investor? And one way I, I realize is like a lot of these guys, most times it's like the dude right? The dude, there's so many dudes in my like mastermind. The dude, yeah. There's like maybe 20% are like the wives and they take the reins financially. But regardless, like there's always one person in the relationship that is a little bit more gung-ho about the financial stuff. And the other yeah. one takes the back seat reluctantly most times. So what I thought was like, instead of taking this profit, like the profit is essentially put it in your spouse's spending bucket and have them to see some of the gains. Any thoughts on how does a, somebody who's not an entrepreneur doesn't really have any OPEX, how do they apply this to their normal life? Yeah. If you're not an entrepreneur, yeah. So this can play into your personal finances or your personal endeavors. But let me tell you the intentions of each account. So the profit is in a business sense is a celebratory account, meaning that is a reward for doing something that very little of the population does do, which is start a business. Only about 7% of the world population will ever start a business. So that you're called a shareholder. And so profit is a reward for making this investment. And owner's pay is the pay for the operations of the business as, an, as the key employee. So many, it's called an owner operator. Many business owners also operate the business. So that's your pay if you had to replace you. And taxes are reserved for your tax liabilities and OPEX is the ongoing concern of the business. In our personal lives, in the book, Profit First, there's a whole section called Profit First Life. And we talk about this. It does translate too, because a family income, a family of one, two, I have three children, family of five, is like a small business. In fact, most small businesses don't have more than two employees. So most families are bigger than most small businesses. And we treat it the same way. There's an income source, maybe it's your salary, and maybe there's contributors to that. So you have multiple income source or revenue streams, right? So it's multiple contributors. It goes into this main bucket, and then we divide the money up also. And the labeling may be different, but the concept's the same. You may have a retirement account, which is your profit, which is future savings. You may have your lifestyle account, 
to support your life. My wife and I actually, we have a debit account. She has one and I have one. So we have our allowance or with the parameters we work in. And when my debit card, when I can't run the debit cards because I've depleted my account, but she can still use hers. And so that's how that works. Then there's tax reserves and so forth. This is the old world envelope system. It's just a modernized flavor of it. We do this at our bank. So every time you log into your bank account, you don't have to read the income statements. You don't have to read your bank statements, balance sheets. You don't have to read any of that stuff. You just log into your bank account and you see where money is allocated with what intended use before you spend it. Yeah, we had Benjamin Hardy on the podcast here recently and he wrote the the book, Willpower Doesn't Work. And he's totally yeah. true. Like we suck at controlling ourselves. We do. So I love that. So willpower is like a muscle, it fatigues, right? So we can be very staunch about something. I'm not gonna touch this money. I'm just gonna sit here. I'm gonna save for my future. And then we're like, like a muscle, it starts fatiguing. You put a little weight on it. It's like, may I just borrow from this account? And then we start unwinding the whole system and we're done. So with Profit First, we, we same thing as willpower. We don't try to use willpower because it's a weak muscle. What we do is with Profit, for example, in these reserves, we actually will transfer money out of your main bank account, hide it away from you. You, you intentionally hide it from yourself in another bank so you can't access it, so you can't see it. And you have to make do with what you have. When we can't see something, we don't worry about that thing. So don't use willpower. Uh, use your established habits to your, to your benefit. Block and tackle for yourself in advance by moving and hiding money from yourself so that you won't you know, play a game with yourself. And then how I implemented that is I, over the last six months, I've been opening up new bank accounts, not just making sub accounts in the bank account, but brand new bank accounts in my name and wife's name and assigning the profit and owner's pay. And she's what the heck are you doing? What is all this stuff? I'm trying to explain, hey, you put the five, 10% profit. I'm like, I don't know. It's going to take some time. Yeah, you know, it will take time. And it confuses some people. They see it and they're like, what the heck is this? And they don't get it. So that's skepticism and it's normal. You know, what I encourage people to do, I set the system up for myself 12 years ago. I didn't even believe it would work. I was, it was desperate times for me. I'd wipe myself out financially. I needed to do something. And it took me a few iterations. I was like, holy cow, this is working for me. And, and it's been life-changing for me, this system. And so I expect skepticism. And what I invite people is, let's just try on a small basis. Let's just have one account, a profit account or something. Let's just transfer a small amount of money in there Every time money comes in, we'll put a small percentage, I mean, just one or 2%. And we're going to hide that money from ourselves. Then the rest of our lives will, will run the normal way. After two or three months, let's see how much our normal life has resulted in savings. And let's look at how much this little profit account has. And inevitably, the profit account is more consistent, accumulating more money and more effective. And then when they start ramping it up, it's, we got to buy our way into this channels, our existing habits, logging to a bank account, seeing the balances to our advantage. And then once we start seeing the advantage, that's when we start winning our favor into it. And then we start rolling out the whole system. So one thing I do, like I said, with the profit that just goes into the spouse's account, it's gone off the face of the earth. Lucky for me, they don't spend it that much. Um, <laughs> the second, the owner's pay is like, I use infinite banking. I'll throw that into my life insurance as an overfunded payment. And then it's gone. And then everything else I'll keep in my plethora of bank accounts. I love it. The bank may get frustrated. So as we set up profit first, we have over 300 we think it's 350,000 businesses now, but over 300,000 businesses have implemented it. The feedback we regularly hear is the bank is like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you saying all these accounts? And there's confusion over it. Realize you can, a bank is a vendor. You can negotiate them and say, listen, if you're going to charge me fees, I ain't going to bank here. So I want to set these accounts. Don't charge me fees. Just like any other vendor, they have flexibility and can, if they want your business, address that. Then we start transferring money in and what the banks notice and what you'll notice is now you're accumulating more money because you know what the money's intended use is. So we don't spend flippantly or frivolously. And the banks, we get banks calling us saying, we want your client doing profit first. 
they store more, more money with us. Uh, they're more active with our bank. So setting up these accounts, don't let the preconceived notions of banks or an accountant or bookkeeper who does not understand the process dissuade you from it. You know, we have 300,000 plus businesses that's serving. It will serve you. I'm convinced of it. You just got to try it out and get past that initial negative rhetoric you may hear from some people that just aren't familiar with this process. Right. And for a lot of you guys who have reluctant spouses, I did write an article for you guys at simplepassivecashflow.com slash spouse. This is on the list of tips, right? Create a profit first account for them to just see the rewards as opposed to them just thinking you're just socking away investment money, giving away checks here and there for investments they don't see any of the cash flow with. It goes hand in hand. Like every time we close a deal, I tell you guys, like go and celebrate, go for a nice dinner or something. Make it a milestone that you can... Not you don't care, but your family and your spouse can point back to. Yeah, listen, with profit, so I've been distributing. When we take a corporate profit, our entire family shares in it. And my wife and I, I own the business, but my wife and I, we share the profit uh, from the business that yields to our family, the majority of it, but the kids get too. And now there's an excitement. As, as we're recording this, the quarter ends in just five more days. And there's a profit distribution coming out. Already my kids are like, hey, how is the business doing? Because I consider them investors. They don't invest money. They make sacrifice. And so there's an excitement around it when you engage your family. What, what are some things, you don't give them money or what are you celebrate or like a company retreat or what are some things you- Yeah, no, I, I actually do give them money, but we will celebrate collectively in some way, but th they actually get a portion of money and not nothing substantial. Like I, I don't want them to think that there's free money being handed out, but I do want them to appreciate what the business is doing and how it's impacting them and the family as a whole. So that's why we share in some of it. But we do some activities. And when I first did, I remember the first distribution 12 years ago, it was $8. Like I just started the system. There was $8 that came out, but it was the best $8 of my life. I went right to Starbucks and said, give me a nice cup of coffee. And I enjoyed that. And for the first time, I didn't have to use a credit card or a debit card or borrow money or, or make an expense. It was just the business was rewarding me. It's like, holy cow, it's amazing. And it's grown to a lot of money. And so we've gone, we rented a castle out in Ireland and spent time out there. And we're doing these activities that are dream activities for us all from the business. And it's taken a while to get there, but it's just a celebration every single time. I think that character trait is very common amongst my group. This past uh, few months in the Hawaii Mastermind, nobody stayed in four or five star motel. They all stayed in the two, three star value hotels. I love it. Yeah. You know, it, it can get weird, right? Like they don't want to spend money because they're always going by that attitude of saving. So there's got to be a balance and right, you're saving, but you can get to the point of being a miser and you have to define your definition of it. But when I travel for business, it's all about the profitability. I, I stay at the Motel 8s. I remember going to a conference. It was at this ritzy hotel in Scottsdale, Arizona. And after the event, I did my presentation People at the event, hey, you want to hang out? What hotel room are you? What room are you at? Oh, I'm down the road at Motel 8. And they're like, what? You're not paying $500 a night? I'm like, no, I'm paying like 80 bucks a night. And they're like, why? I'm like, because the profitability. And, and I, we actually share profit with my employees. Now we're small. We have 12 employees here. But my employee, Lisa, is the booker for my scheduling, my travel. She books hotels and she knows if, if I'm staying in a Motel 8, we're all sharing a little bit more profit. So <laughs> when it comes to the lifestyle of my business, it's healthy, but it's frugal. And then when the profit comes out as a bonus distribution, you know, that's my opportunity to splurge a little bit as I define it. And that's when we live a little high in the hog, but then we go back to 
appropriate, you know, lifestyle for the business to be healthy and sustainable. Yeah. Hey man, I did the same thing. I think we met at that Tory Pines in San Diego. I don't stay there. I was not staying there. I was not staying there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I stay in the Airbnb. That's a hundred something bucks. I stayed at the Motel 8. So you, you stayed at a ritzy place compared to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'll remember the event. I walked into the lobby and there was vomit on the floor and I, someone was, was just drunk and puked. I took a picture of it. I sent to Lisa. I said, I think this is the last Motel 8. We got to go beyond the puke level. Yeah. Go at least Holiday Inn or Festival. Yeah, exactly. Western, yeah. Exactly. Live- a little bit better. So let's switch over to the, the pumpkin plan. Now, I didn't read the book. People have been telling me about some of the, the ideas of it. Because this was one of the first ones you wrote. Yeah. Can you give a little bit background for people, for the, for the passive investors out there? What's the pull from this one? Yeah, the, the short and thick of it is that it's the application of the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule. That 20% of your opportunities are going to yield 80% of the benefit. So how do you determine that? And I made into a multi-step process. It was actually formulated after the process of growing colossal pumpkins. I found that the vast majority of pumpkin farmers, no shock here, grow ordinary pumpkins for you know Halloween and the fall holidays. But there's a small faction that grow colossal pumpkins and they change the process just a little bit, but the pumpkin responds with organic explosive growth. So in the book, I document their process loosely, but translate it to the exact steps businesses need to make. Who are those colossal potential seeds you have around your organization? How do you water and, and feed those things to have colossal growth. There's usually a few things in your business matching your, there it is, matching your best clients to your true uniqueness in your environment and systematizing it. That becomes this seedling to fuel super fast growth. So the way I look at that, another idea is like when I had 11 rentals, I would look at maybe 20% of them that sucked the most and try and look to sell it or unload it. That's the other side of it. So it's, yeah, and I'm talking about that. I call that the rotten pumpkins. There's certain ones that are distracting and there's actually certain clientele that they're so difficult. They don't pay well. They threaten, I'm going to slam you on Yelp. You'll never get another client again. They they damage your property. Those clients are, are actually costing us to keep them. We need to, and there's rules of course around, but you need to jettison them as quickly as possible so you can matriculate or serve your best clients. So I I think when I kind of work with investors and a lot of you guys, there's probably about a dozen past free coaching calls I've given people in exchange for having their lives on the internet on YouTube. But like most times I look at people's portfolios, it's not really about getting into that next deal at 15, 18% IR. It's they've got most of their portfolio doing absolutely nothing, either debt equity or California rental that's making $2,000 a month. That's over 600 grand. Like it's amazing. Like mo- most cases, even with investors that listen to podcasts, pretty good network that this is the case. And yeah, it's, it's the pumpkin plan needs to be put in place. Mike, let's, let's pitch people on the new book, the new idea sure. that's coming out. Let's talk about that one a little bit. Thank you. So the new book is called Fix This Next. And what the thesis is, I determined that the biggest challenge entrepreneurs face is knowing what their biggest challenge is. The vast majority of business owners are just scrambling to put out whatever fire presents itself. And it's a constant rush to all the apparent issues that are presenting themselves, but they don't know what this, there it is. They don't know what the specific challenges that they have. And what this does, what Fix Success does is a tool, like a compass to very quickly pinpoint the specific need your business has. I call it the vital need. And within every business at any given moment, there is a vital need. The question is, what is it? So this is a design around a hierarchy of needs. It's a compass, if you will, to very quickly through a series of simple questions, pinpoint what to work on next. And when you concentrate your effort on that and resolve it, then you go through this process again, you find the next fix. You start deliberately stepping forward one step after the other and march forward. 
Most businesses are scrambling and they never get unstuck because they keep on circling around and around. Now with Fix This Next, we know what to work on next and move our business forward. It's particularly applicable now, by the way, with this, with a macro crisis going on, there is an impact, what's called micro crisis on small business. Macro crisis facilitates more micro crisis. So how do we navigate the individual crises and challenges our businesses are facing in this moment? Well said. I'm not big on the shelf help guys who read a whole bunch of books and never do anything. I'm big on help. I've never heard that actually. It's funny. Yeah. Actionable advice. And like Mike's books have really helped me out in terms of, here's another example, like on our 3000 units on the operational side of our house, we've implemented the profit first. Awesome. We told them to put away investor distributions in a little side account for us. They're a little annoyed by that, of course, but Hey, we're the boss. It's your business. It's your business. Because <laughs> we have to, we pay taxes. We have to pay investors. Like, Mike's books have really um, helped me out in giving me actionable things that change my business. And if you're one of those guys who reads a whole bunch of books and not really any habit change, I think you guys need to do that. We have the book club now. We, we read a book every other month. You guys can get access at Elena Simple Passive Cashflow or go and sign up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash lane hack. And we'll probably, we'll do a Mike book here. Maybe this cool, fix this next. I hope you, I think it'll serve you. I, I really put my life's effort into this. And I think it will be of great impact. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah. Anything else? Um, parting words, Mike, for the passive investor stuck in the day job? Any? Yeah. Your the irony is your clients want you. So I know taking the leap to out of a day job into doing this full time maybe is not appropriate for you, but it is a, a necessary side hustle. Clients need great offerings, and I suspect if you're doing this and you're listing stuff like this, you're committed to being of great service. So market aggressively, make sure clients are aware of you because if they don't find you, they're going to find the alternative. And I suspect the alternative is not better than what you have to offer. That said. All right. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Pleasure talking with you, Lane. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.